I'm Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Uh, This week, somehow, miraculously, we have reached 60 episodes. That's six zero. Uh, Can you believe that we've been doing this for over a year now? Like, 60 plus weeks. And it has felt like a lifetime. It sure has, because this no, has been I, the year of 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 forever. Yeah. No, it, it's been so much fun. I can't believe we're at sixty already. <laughs> it's it's weird. Like I I don't think that I realized when we started this that like by doing a weekly podcast, you're essentially producing like fifty two, give or take episodes a year. Yeah, I mean. We had, obviously, we had a week off after Halloween because we gave you guys, like, a thousand Halloween episodes, and we are already planning this year's Halloween spectacular. By we, we mean you, because I have no idea what's going on. I am planning this this year's Halloween spectacular. Taylor will do as she's told, as usual. Yeah. Because I'm a bussy bitch. Um, Yeah, so we had a week off after Halloween. We had a week off at Christmas. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, it still doesn't compute that yeah, we've been doing this over a year, we've now got 60 episodes. Yeah, it's wild. Plus all the Patreon episodes. Yeah, we've got like way more than 60 if you count all those. Yeah. Uh, who knew we could be so productive? Certainly not me. Let's, not let's, me. Let's be honest. I've never been this productive in my entire life. So. I think we have finally found a thing we're good at. I love it. I just, I just wish it, you know, paid the rent. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great too. But you know, no, we'll get there. I, I, through doing this, I'm like, I want to be in podcasts. Like that's yeah. that's the space I want to be in. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you're not allowed to do it without me because <laughs> I know where you live, even though you've just moved house. So I will hunt you down if you try and leave me. <laughs> Okay. I will hunt you down. Uh, Now, if you're new to the show, or, and if so, welcome. Um, Or if you've forgotten in the last 10 episodes, because we know there's been a lot going on in the last 10 episodes. We've had ghosts, we've had ghouls, we've got vampires, is the whole thing. So I can't even remember what happened. I know. (laughs) Um, So you might not know, or remember, or whatever, that every 10 episodes uh, so far we've been covering... uh, a Scottish case. Uh, Now, we started this because um, for episodes 10, 20, 30, and 40, we covered each of the four uh, square mile of murder cases from Glasgow, which we take our name from. Um, And yeah, we just figured that was a a good way to space them out because like it felt wrong to just do like episodes one two three and four because also we weren't that good at the beginning (laughs) yeah the first three episodes are a bit um yeah so um i think we we made the right choice to like honor those i think those are some of our like funnest sort of like randomest episodes as well yeah, they they were really interesting as well. Yeah. So, and also how we learned that we really like doing all these old cases. Yes, actually. Yeah, exactly. Because I think the Madeline Smith case was one of the, it was like the oldest one we'd covered at that point, probably. Yeah. So yeah, we, we learned a lot from those. Um, and it seems right to come back to Scotland every every so often just to check in and see what kind of crimes what kind of mayhem they're running up north of the border yeah um so yeah and then for so we ran out of those obviously so then for episode 50 we covered a more modern scottish case which was um william beggs and the limbs in the lock uh yeah murders yeah that was one that was also like partly in the north yorkshire Moors. yes yeah um so now we're back again uh, if you couldn't tell, with uh, another sort of slightly older Scottish case, sort of uh, semi-modern 
semi-old. Yeah. So you might have noticed that almost all of our Scottish cases have been based in or around the kind of greater Glasgow area. But for this episode, we're travelling to the Scottish capital of Edinburgh yeah. in the early 1970s for the Salisbury Crags murder case. So over to Taylor. Yeah. Nothing to do with the Salisbury poisoning cases. No. It's a different Salisbury. That's the Salisbury in England. <laughs> uh, nor Salisbury steak. So, you know. But yeah, so here we go. Edinburgh. 1970s kind of same era as um angus st clair um, yeah i think he was the late, late 70s was it late 70s or late 60s i don't know no he was i think late 70s and into the 80s okay. and then they uncovered they uncovered others well he wasn't he wasn't imprisoned i think until either the late 80s or the early 90s yeah but he They've uncovered a lot of evidence that could link him to crimes in the late 70s, but he's now dead. I mean, yes, yes, yes. Oh, no, sorry, World's End, that was late 70s. Yeah. I think. He just wasn't prosecuted till like till 30 years much, later. Much later, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Peter Tobin would have been around at this time. Yeah. Um, uh, especially if you subscribe to the theory that he's Bible John. Which I don't. So. No, I don't either. <laughs> um, and I think that was our first patron. Patreon bonus episode it was our first full length when we did like a shorter mm. one first but yeah. yeah um yeah so if you do want to hear some more about this era in scottish crime history check out those angus and claire's like episodes six or seven yeah um peter tobin was episode three so yeah listen at your own risk exactly and then yeah the bible john is um I don't know if it's ten pound. I think it's ten pound Patreon episode. I can't remember to be perfectly yeah, honest. I couldn't tell you. It's it's in our Patreon back catalog. It's a long one. I do remember. So, you know, if you're really interested, <laughs> check that out. Yeah. Um. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Uh. Today, we are going back to late September 1972, where we meet 21 year old. German-born Dutch man by birth, Ernest Dumoulin, um, and his 18-year-old German fiancé, Helga Conrad. Uh, and these two, this young couple, they eloped to Scotland, very much against the wishes of their parents, which is often how the eloping goes. Yeah. Um. Now, according to an article by the Scotsman, the couple had met via a Lonely Hearts uh, advertisement and like a paper, probably. Uh, Ernest had swept Helga off her feet and following a whirlwind romance, the couple now planned to spend their lives together. So on the flight to Edinburgh, Ernest told a fellow passenger that after arriving in Edinburgh, the couple planned to travel to Newcastle and eventually to Gretna Green where they would get married. So for the last few centuries, especially in England, Gretna Green has been kind of romanticised as the place to elope to. This is because Gretna Green sits just north of the Scottish-English border, and back in the olden days, young lovers from England would elope to Gretna to marry, because you could get married there under the age of 21 without your parents' consent. So you could technically get married in England if you were 18 without parental consent, but in 1754, the Marriage Act made it legal for the wedding to be stopped or prevented if one of the parents disagreed with the union, and their son or daughter was under the age of 21. So if the parents weren't bothered at 18, you could still get married, but if they had like strong opposition to it, you had to wait till you were 21. But this law only applied in England. Uh, because Gretna is one of the first settlements over the border, it became sort of the de facto place to elope to. Uh, so Scotland also allowed for irregular marriages, which meant that unlike in England, where weddings had to be performed by a member of the clergy, in Scotland, as long as you had two witnesses, pretty much anyone could perform the wedding. Um, I'm sure there's some like 
like caveat or rules that go along with that and like you couldn't just like grab two people and be like right i'm gonna marry you because we've got two other people watching <laughs> probably I'm sure there must have been like some like something along with that so in gretna green these young couples were married by the town blacksmiths who became known as the anvil priest great band name yeah so yeah instead of an altar you had an anvil i love it um and although the wedding laws have obviously evolved a lot in the past 250 years, this romanticised idea of eloping to Gretna Green still very much exists. And you can still get married in the old blacksmiths. Oh, missed opportunity for me. Shit. I know. That would have been fun. But yeah, it costs an absolute fuck ton as well because it's so popular. Uh, so it's a really expensive sort of wedding place now. On another note... Going Edinburgh to Newcastle, then Gretna Green, sounds very counterintuitive to me. Yeah. But, like, because to me, anyway, you would get a train from Edinburgh to Glasgow, Glasgow to Gretna, and then go across the country from Gretna yeah. to Newcastle. Like, why would you go all the way and down to and go, then come back up? Yeah, go the other way. It just I don't know why, just going the other way sounds weird to me. It is it is confusing. Like when I, I read that I was like, huh? But Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but it just seems weird. We're almost definitely overthinking this. <laughs> um also in Scotland, wasn't it uh, at least in the really olden days, wasn't it quite common for people to do like hand fasting where they would sort of like proclaim they were married and it would last for like an extended period of time until they could get in front of a priest if they were like in the highlands or like far away from civilization. I have no idea, to be honest. Huh. Well, I saw it on Outlander, so a bit. must be true. So that's kind of like being common law married yeah, as opposed yeah. to actually married. Yeah. I I have no idea. <laughs> well, we'll have to go back and do some research and we'll report back um see see how accurate highland um outlander is yeah really uh probably not that accurate <laughs> um but it is made in scotland so uh also hilarious to see them use glasgow uni as harvard because the two look absolutely nothing alike but don't tell i have not seen outlander so i have no knowledge on Look, this. it's basically softcore porn but yeah i have heard that <laughs> there's a lot of butts but there's butts um <laughs> but i do okay i do love it so there's that although don't watch it at the gym on the stationary bike because there's just butts everywhere <laughs> i made that mistake <laughs> i mean you didn't have to keep watching it I didn't. I switched to something else. <laughs> it's like, this is too much. It's too much for the gym. Too you much know, butts. Hat, hat. Yeah, your, your blood pressure is just going to go sky high. That's, that's not going to do like, anything for anyone. Until my butt looks like that butt from going to the gym, I'm not going to watch butts at the gym. Know what I mean? I think so. I don't know what I mean. It's fine. It's early. But yeah, so they were going to go, they they went to Edinburgh, they were going to go elope in Gretna Green, but, like, we wouldn't really be talking about it if everything had gone the way it was supposed to, would we? No. So, um, after the couple arrived in Edinburgh, they found a place to stay at one of the many sort of nondescript uh, boarding houses, guest houses, lodgings, you know that sort of thing, that lined the streets just off of Edinburgh's city centre. They ended up at 9 Torpichin Street, uh, which was run by Herbert Woods and his wife. They took the only room uh, the Woodses had available, which was a simple room with twin beds. Uh, the Woods assumed that the couple were married, and when they discovered that they weren't, Ernest Dumoulin paid three weeks rent in advance before he and Mr. Woods went to the local registry office. So, at the time, you needed to have lived in Scotland for at least 15 days to be granted a marriage license. 
and by 1972, the irregular marriages that made Gretna Green so famous were no longer allowed. So, you know. Yeah, there's a little bit more regulation to it yeah. by then. Um, so, Mr. Woods accompanied DeMolin to the registry office to confirm that the couple had been resident in Scotland for the specified length of time to get married. Um, in their first couple of weeks in Edinburgh, the couple tried to find work. And according to the book Close and Deadly, Chilling Murders in the Heart of Edinburgh by Alana Knight, which is also the book that I found the infamous love letter in, which if you're oh, yeah. if you're curious about that, you can listen to our very first um, monthly ramble episode on Patreon for two pounds. So there's there's lots of history behind this book. I was looking for this case in it when... I found that note. So, fun times. Um, yeah, so according to Close and Deadly, the couple spoke to the manager of the local Adelphi Hotel where they were offered jobs as a live-in waiter and a chambermaid. But the following day they were supposed to move into the Adelphi, they didn't turn up. And the manager assumed that they'd either changed their minds or been offered something better. Hmm. So again, according to Close and Deadly, Demoulin uh, had told the manager that they could have earned about 20 times more than what he was offering for the same jobs back in Germany. We have no idea if that is true or not. Um, we we like to be accurate on this podcast, but I'm not researching uh, wages in Germany in the 1970s. I'm sorry. That's fair. Uh, the wage offered by the Adelphi was £9 a week, which is equivalent to £119 per week. Now, it sounds like a pretty piss-poor wage by our standards, but keep in mind that they didn't have living expenses, so they're essentially taking home almost £500 a month with no rent or mortgage or utilities. Mm -hmm. So, it's not as bad as it sounds. Yeah. But uh, Demoulin claims that in Germany they would earn £200 per week, um, which would be equivalent to more than two and a half grand today. Wow. £200 a week versus £9 a week. But, and not to sound like a xenophobic Brexiter here, they weren't in Germany, they were in Scotland, they had to settle for it, or go somewhere else. Yeah. Also, yeah, like, can't... I don't think a great way to get a job is to go to the person who's offering you a job. I can make more money elsewhere. Fine, go do it. Yeah. So by October 13th, the couple were still lodging with the woods at 9 Torpenshin Street when they got married at the Haymarket Registry Office. Uh, the woods witnessed the marriage, and after the ceremony, they took Dumoulin and Helga for lunch and drinks. Sounds quite nice. Um, according to the Edinburgh Reporter... During the meal, the newlyweds told the Woods that they planned to open a financial advisory business in Edinburgh, and DeMullen would be the advisor and Helga would be his secretary. S sure. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of businesses that worked like that back in the day. Oh, yeah. The, so, did he have a history to... of financial advising? We will get to that later. Okay, well. Um, so they also told the older couple that due to Helga's disagreements with her parents and uh, their disapproval of the union, they had no plans to return to mainland Europe. So the Woods left the restaurant in Shandwick Place and returned to their boarding house at around three in the afternoon. And the newly married couple returned just over an hour later. Uh, the Woods assumed that they were in for the night but then heard uh, DeMullen and Helga leave again only a few hours later. But they didn't really pay attention. Like, they were newlyweds, and they probably just wanted to go out and celebrate. Uh, so that's what they thought, until there was a knock at the door in the early hours of the next morning. So sometime the next morning, we don't have an exact time. So this is October 14th. Herbert Wood was awoken by two detectives knocking on the front door, and a very dishevelled, dazed and muddy Ernest Dumoulin stood beside them. Curiously, along with the mud and messy attire, Dumoulin also had his right arm in a bandage. Huh. And even more curiously, 
Helga was nowhere to be seen. The detectives told the Woods that there had been a fatal accident on Salisbury Crags, wherein the new bride had fallen to her death. Whoopsies. So, uh, Salisbury Crags are a series of cliffs within uh, Holyrood Park. Now, Holyrood Park is a royal park in Edinburgh, which is open to the public all year round. Um, the park is basically a collection of big hills and little lochs or lakes for those not in Scotland. Um, the biggest and most well-known of the hills in Holyrood Park is Arthur's Seat, which is this big old rock hill thing. You can see it from the, the city and it, and then you can see the city from it and it's cool. Yeah. Have you ever been up there? I have. I'm... <laughs> Actually, funny story. I walked up Arthur's seat in these shoes. Oh, damn. Yeah, it was not smart. <laughs> yeah, see, I've never been. I've been like, to, well, because it starts out at Holyrood's Palace. Yes. Um, So I've been down to there and we walked around a little bit of the flat but we did not have the shoes for climbing so we went back up the royal mile and got coffees instead yeah so the it was the first time i'd ever been to edinburgh and i was there alone and i was like just walking around i did some like audio walking tours on my phone of, of like the royal mile to just learn a little bit more and i got all the way down at the end of the mile and i was like oh, well, there's a bunch of people walking up over there. I'll just go do that. And then I got like <laughs> halfway up and I was like, well, I'm in it now. So I kept going. And actually, I think I may have sort of scrambled along near the Salisbury Crags after looking up at pictures of them. Someone's hammering something loudly nearby. So... I apologize. Hopefully it won't be too obvious. Um, but anyway, yes, I been up it in woefully inappropriate footwear, but it is absolutely gorgeous up there. Um, so yes. So it's, so you've got Arthur's seat. Um, the Salisbury crags is a sort of subsidiary spur of Arthur's seat, which is Wikipedia's, uh, description yeah description <laughs> i didn't know i thought a spur was something on a boot but i like this um yeah i would never have worded it like that but that's how it was described and i was like okay i'm going to keep that description because it's most concise yeah so the cliffs are popular with rock climbers and the paths across the tops of these cliffs, which link up with the other paths around the park, are popular with tourists, day trippers, and locals just wanting to get out or get a nice view of the city. And it is a gorgeous view. Um, uh, the crags have been known for many years now to be treacherous in bad weather, and parts of the crags and the paths have also slipped away over the years. Uh, Mrs. Woods was incredibly shaken over the death of Helga. I mean, Less than 24 hours earlier, they had been celebrating the wedding, and now Helga, the bride, was dead. I mean, it's... That's a bummer. Yeah, it's a hell of a come down, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, we were at the wedding yesterday. That ah, one of them's dead. Yeah. Uh, oh. Like, you don't expect it to work like that. No, that's a bit of an oh crap situation. Mm. Uh, she was also concerned by the dazed state Dumoulin was in and instructed her husband to check on the younger man uh, after he had disconnected the domestic gas line as she was worried that he may attempt to end his own life because he, you know, seemed so distraught yeah. as, as I think would be a normal reaction if your bride of 12 hours just fallen to her death fallen. Yeah, yeah but things were not as they seemed. Never are, are they? Not on this show. What if we just had an episode where it's like, and everything was as it seemed? It'd be like five yeah. minutes. 
Um, so Jamulin's version of events was that he and Helga had walked through the park and up to the Salisbury Crags to take in the views of the city in the evening and enjoy each other's company and just like be together and be schmoopy and they were married and all this stuff. Um, so he claimed that on their walk, Helga had lost her footing and slipped and fell to her death. After giving his version of events to police, he was allowed to return to the lodging house uh, owned by Mr. and Mrs. Wood, and he spent hours playing the same record over and over again. Sure. Uh, the, thong the thong? <laughs> no. The song was the theme from the movie Love Story, uh, which was one of a small number of records that the couple had brought with them from Germany, and the Woods assumed that it held some sort of sentimental value to the couple. That's the one that's like... Oh, fuck. I used to know this. I, I have no idea. It's like, it's really, really famous. Like, you've probably... Everyone's probably heard it out of context. It's like... Doo -doo -doo. No, that's like James Bond. I don't know. I, I'll put it... Moving I'll, on. We'll put a link to a recording of it in the show notes. <laughs> Like, he was up moping in his room, he's playing this one song on repeat, um, which is hard to do on a record player. Like, that that involves commitment to just lift the needle up and back and up and back. And, mm. um, but the woods soon noticed that Dumoulin refused to speak about his wife and what had happened to her, saying only, why don't people take my word for it? Because that's normal. Yeah. On Sunday morning, Helga's parents received the news of her death. And as if that news wasn't tragic enough in itself, that Sunday was the day they were expecting Helga to return home. Hmm. So the family lived on a farm in a small village in West Germany. Remember, Germany was um, split east and west at that time. Yep. Uh, one day in mid-September, Dumoulin had pulled up outside the farm in a red Fiat. Helga immediately asked if she could go for a test drive in the car. Um, which I guess is fair enough, like if you're 18 and... Oh, my boyfriend's got this car and maybe I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, which they agreed to, so long as she was back in 15 minutes. But a few hours later, when the parents returned to the farmhouse from the potato fields that they'd been working in, they found that Helga had packed her bags and left, taking all of her savings with her. Ugh, it's not good. On October 13th, three days before her death and on her father's birthday, Helga rang the neighboring farm asking them to pass on a message to her parents. We're in the 70s here, so not every house had their own landline. So, like, that's not, this is not a super unusual situation. Mm. Um, or possibly that it was a farming community and you know she may have tried her parents phone first but got no answer because they were out in the fields working the land so she called the neighbors instead either way not unheard of yeah or she could have just been avoiding directly speaking to them yeah that too yeah so helga wished her father a happy birthday and said that she would be arriving home that sunday october 15th she didn't say where she was calling from, but the neighbor's son who took the call said that it sounded as though she was a long way away. Um, yeah, connections weren't very clear yes. back in the 70s. Even back to like a few years ago, yeah. international connections could be very bad. Yeah, the longer the distance, the cracklier the call. Yeah. Um, so overjoyed by the news that their daughter was returning her mother baked a special welcome home cake uh, but helga never arrived instead what did arrive was the news of her death uh, 
Now, according to her father, they received a phone call from Dumoulin saying that he and Helga had wed, and it was only when her father asked to speak to her that Dumoulin told him, Helga is in heaven. Cool. Uh, the only further information Dumoulin gave was that Helga had died in an accident, but refused to divulge any other details of said accident. I mean, that is like red flags all over the place. Yeah. So, if being like, oh, we got married. Okay, but can I speak to my daughter? Oh, no, she's, no, she's dead. dead. Like, that should be a part of your first bit of information. Yeah. Also, when they were at dinner after the wedding, they told the Woods that they had no plans to return yes, to Germany. That's true. Whereas Helga had wrung her parents the day before. Said she was going back. Yeah. So. Suspicious. Mm. The following day, the police returned to the lodging house and took Demolin to the station for further questioning. Uh, while she was cleaning the rooms, because, you know, everyone was out, Mrs. Woods found the receipt for a life insurance policy that Demolin had taken out on Helga. Fearing the worst, she handed it over to the police. And this would prove to be Demolin's undoing. <laughs> The policy was to pay out £412,000 uh, on Helga's death, which was a hell of a lot of money back then. I mean, fuck, £400,000 is a lot of money to us mere mortals today. I mean, yeah. But today, that amount would be worth £5,472,000. Holy balls! Yeah, I'm not sure what that is in dollars, but it's like four million and something. No, it's like no, sorry, seven six million. million. Yeah, yeah. I'm going the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking I was starting in dollars and going backwards. Yeah, that's a yeah. fuck ton of money. Yeah. Uh, so that in itself is suspicious enough, but added to that was the fact that Demoulin had tried to claim the insurance money on the Saturday morning, mm. literally hours after Helga's death. And when the insurance company wouldn't pay out, he was confused and angry. Oh, boy. Um, so a week after the couple had arrived in Edinburgh, Dumoulin had opened various bank accounts under false pretenses and had convinced Helga to sign the insurance papers, which would pay out the £412,000 in the event of accidental death and half that amount in the event of her natural death. Uh, but there was some small print that Demolin didn't read. The accidental death payout had a clause about dangerous activities and hazardous pursuits. And because Helga had died on what uh, the insurance company deemed to be a mountain, they classed walking along the dangerous slippery Salisbury Crags path as a hazardous pursuit and refused to pay out on the policy. We should point out, I don't think uh, even Arthur's seat, I don't think is classed as a mountain. No. It's like a hill. It's, it's a big hill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they classed it as a mountain at like, that time. And, it's a mountain. Which, but if you are scrambling over these rocks and climbing and everything, you could call it mountaineering. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, kind of like, it could just it's just the, the wording that's chosen to be used, but yeah. Yeah. And like, if I was the insurance company, I'd call it a mountain. Make it making mountains out of molehills, you know. <laughs> um. Yes. So, uh, if if everything thus far hasn't been suspicious enough, Demolin then asked the insurance agent if the insurance policy would likely be brought up in court if the case went to court. So, side note: is possible although unlikely, that there could just be a coroner's inquest into a death such as Helga's without it then becoming a criminal matter. Yeah. Which would be just to determine whether she fell or was pushed. So even if they determined that she fell and it was like a natural death, well, it wasn't murder, yeah. they could still bring that up in court without it being a criminal matter. Um, 
in determining whether it was an accident or murder. So in some circumstances, this could actually be a fairly innocent question. <laughs> but you know what's coming. It was mm. not innocent in this instance. No. Not an innocent instance. Um, so after the insurance agent told Dumoulin that the insurance policy would almost certainly be brought up in court, DeMullen suggested that the agent should destroy all copies of the insurance policy. Because that's not suspicious at all, is it? No, it's also not highly illegal. No. Also, like, just what I... Mm, this guy. He's just drawing a lot of attention to himself. Yes, he's not... He might be a murderer, but he's not good at it. it it's very conspicuous. Yes. Uh, the insurance agent relayed this incident to the police, and in the meantime, more information about Demoulin was beginning to come in from Germany. Uh, Helga had answered Demoulin's advert in the Lonely Hearts column, dated June 26, 1972, and by mid-July, Demoulin had telephoned Helga's father to ask for permission to wed his daughter. Helga's father refused to give parental consent for the wedding, and then ten minutes later, Demoulin turned up at the family home demanding that Helga's parents grant permission for the ceremony. Mm. Uh, according to the book Close and Deadly, Demoulin once again demanded permission to wed Helga, telling her family that he wanted to be engaged to her the following day and marry within four weeks. Wow, guy. Wow. They've only known each other three weeks at this point. Wow. Her, her father told the young couple to wait until Christmas and then they could revisit the subject. Uh, following Helga's death, her father said he wanted to postpone the wedding until such a time that Demoulin was in a stable financial situation and able to support a wife. Which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, the young couple continued to see each other on almost a daily basis until the beginning of September when Helga's parents sent her and one of her cousins on a holiday in Lake Garda in Italy. Uh, perhaps with the intention that time apart might cool things down between the couple and buy them some more time. <laughs> but things didn't go that way, and instead Helga returned from the trip early and once again asked her parents for their permission to wed Dumoulin. Her father tried to compromise with her, with his daughter, telling her that if they waited until the following spring to marry, he would give them a generous amount of money to set up a home. Yeah, and um, as well as uh, you know wanting him to be able to support his new wife, which I suppose any family wants mm -hmm. from their new in-laws, he had also failed in financial advisory, oh. the business that he was wanting to set up. Oh. in Edinburgh, and had tried to work, get a job at a bank where Helga's father was uh, on the advisory board. He didn't work there, but he's, well, he didn't work there day to day, but he was like an advisory member. Mm -hmm. And he'd been refused that job because Helga's father said, well, no, because it's um, unethical to give a job to someone who's going to become my in-law. Mm -hmm. So from that, it just sound like they wanted eventually... They, they'll find that eventually the couple would marry, but they wanted them to be financially stable first. Yeah, which is fair. Rather than just parents being like, no. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, it sounds like they were like, just take it slow, guys. Like, yeah. there's no rush. And also, Helga was only like 18. So, like, so. Yeah. They're young. Yeah. Uh, after receiving the phone call telling him of, of his daughter's death, her father immediately flew to Edinburgh, as he didn't actually believe Demoulin when he said that Helga had died. Ugh. But when he landed at the airport, he was met not with his daughter, but with police officers, who told him that Helga had in fact fallen to her death on Salisbury Crags. Helga's father confronted Demoulin across the table at the police station, where he begged his now son-in-law to tell him the truth about Helga's death, but Demoulin stuck to his story that it was an accident. Uh, whilst police continued their investigation, Helga's father made arrangements to have her body repatriated, and then he returned to Germany as well. 
Helga was buried less than half a mile from her parents' home. But what actually did happen to Helga on Salisbury Crag? Well, that answer would eventually come out in court. Mm -hmm. So it turned out that Damolin had a history of committing fraud. Before the couple had left Germany, he had obtained a car under false pretenses and then sold it. Uh, once in Edinburgh, he deposited the money from that sale at a bank in the city and claimed more than £10,000 worth of business interests back in Germany in order to obtain credit. So he used that credit to pay the premiums on the life insurance policy that he took out on Helga before her death. And Helga's death, he claimed, was a con that had gone wrong. Dumoulin claimed that Helga had hatched that Helga had hatched a plan to fake his death and that she would then claim the life insurance, putting all of the planning on her. And that once up on Salisbury Crags, she had tried to kill him for real and that she had fallen after he pushed her, defending himself from his murderous new wife. Yeah, I can't find any sources that say there's any evidence of a life insurance policy on him. On him, yeah. So... So there might well have been, um, and it's just not been mentioned. Yeah. Because that defense was ridiculous. Uh, or it's entirely possible that no such policy existed. And as we say, he just wasn't very smart. I, I Yeah, I think it might be that one. The prosecution claimed that a merchant seaman had found Helga's body at the bottom of the crags and led police there around 9pm. However, after this night, the seaman could not be found to give evidence in court, although his name and description had been circulated around Scotland, and his identity now is not known, so it was like circulated at the time mm -hmm. through the various police forces in Scotland, but for some reason, it's not archived anywhere in, like, uh, newspaper reports or anything from the time. Oh, interesting. Uh, when the police arrived at the bottom of Salisbury Crags, they saw a figure above them who retreated uh, when an officer shone a torch at them. And this eventually turned out to be Demoulin. Another witness claimed that around 8.30 on the Friday evening, Demoulin had run down from the park to a parked car telling the driver that his wife had fallen over a cliff, but when the driver offered to call an ambulance, Demoulin said no ambulance and no police. Hmm. So I don't really understand what... Unless the point is to establish an alibi that he was, like, distraught. Yeah. But then saying no police, no ambulance. Bit suspicious, bro. Yeah. Uh, the police surgeon also testified at the trial and said that there were very few scrapes or scratches on Helga's body that one would expect to see if she had slipped down the cliff face. Mm. And instead, he testified that she had either leapt to her death or had been pushed with considerable force. Uh, the insurance agent also gave evidence, retelling his conversation with Demoulin just hours after Helga's death, in which Demoulin asked him to destroy all records of the life insurance policy on Helga. <sighs> Love it. Um, the jury took just a couple of hours to find Ernest Dumoulin guilty of murder, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment, but not a whole of life tariff. So he actually, he so he didn't actually serve life in prison. Um, yeah, it's two separate sentences. So life in prison means you can be paroled. Yeah. Um, and released on license. Isn't it usually a minimum term of like 15 years or something? Yeah. I think min depends what the crime is, but you usually hear like life with a minimum of 20, yeah. 30, something like that. It just depends on the crime. Yeah. And then whole of life is you are never getting out, yeah. barring successful appeal. Yeah. So that's uh, Rose West, uh, Joanna Dennehy. I think they're the only two women serving whole of life in Britain now. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Bamber, um, Robert Maudsley, who we've talked about as well. Yep. yep. Yeah, we've done. Uh, Charles Bronson, I think. Uh huh. Was on Hall of Life. 
also living in the basement of the Monster Mansion with Robert Maudsley. Uh, I'm trying to think, but yeah, so whole of life means barring an appeal, you're, you're, you're not getting you're stuck out. there. De Mullen served his sentence in Scotland, um, and he has been released, although we don't know exactly when, but he's, like, his sentence as as sentenced has been served. Yeah. Um, he returned to Germany, where he retrained as a minister, and... <laughs> conducted many weddings which i feel like there's a just just a no small amount of irony there no it's just a whole lot of nope yeah nope um helga has not been forgotten in edinburgh and there is a memorial bench located near the hollywood palace uh for much of the year and then it's stored inside during the winter i think that's nice they take care of their benches yeah um, and so that is the case of the Salisbury Crags murder and the death of Helga Conrad. Yeah. There's no, just uh, there's not a lot you can else you can say. This guy's a dumbass. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's not a lot of press coverage on this. There's yeah. a few articles that have been done as sort of like a ret- uh, I was going to say retrospective but like you know on the anniversary mm-hmm. um but yeah there's not a lot of case which is why we don't know when he was right. released yeah. we don't actually know if he's even still alive <laughs> he would be he'd be in his early 70s I think about 70 70? yeah yeah just um, just about so it is possible that he is alive. And as recently as 2013, when he was free and relocated to back to Germany, he was still trolling the web and commenting on articles about the case. So one of which I found, the Edinburgh Reporter, scrolled down through, uh, found the comments at the end. The comments are now closed. Oh, uh, yeah. And so we don't know if it's certain that it's him, but it, if not, it's like some crank claiming to be him, which I think is even more disgusting. Yes. But part of his comment says, I am a little surprised that my bad deeds in the past cause still so much negative attention in the present. You fucking killed a person. Yeah, bro. No. Like, mm. just because you're a minister now? Yeah, and he does, that's only part of the comment it does go on to say about, um, uh, let me find the rest of that comment. Yeah, surprised. People still care I murdered a a woman. Uh, If at all, I wish for the general welfare of people, that it might be, that it might for the future be shown that God is able to rise a small, pretty flower out of a heap of dung. With kind regards, Ernest de Moulin. Ugh. Like... If you don't want attention to be drawn to your former indiscretions, let's call them in possibly his point of view, don't comment on articles about it on the internet. Yeah. That's a pretty easy way to go about it. I think that he would have turned into like a uh like a bell gunners type. Yeah, if he hadn't been if, if, if he'd he been hadn't smart been enough. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, less less than twelve. Well, let's say around twelve hours after he pushed his bride off a cliff. He's trying With to claim the insurance. Considerable force. Yeah, he he's trying to claim the insurance money, and then being like, when they're like, no, because it was a mountaineering accident yeah. by your your account. Yeah. defines it as this. So we're not even going to give you the money for that. Like, just no. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. It does seem like he sort of, he was this like low-level con man that tried to build up to something, but didn't really do all the planning that he should have. And so, like, and then, yeah, just made some really 
dumb mistakes talking to the insurance company and like mm. all this shit and also like Hollywood Park is really public. Yeah. Like, and I'm not trying to give tips for someone wanting to, you know, commit domestic murder, <laughs> but there is the fucking Highlands, the Lowlands, there's all kinds of places. You not just take a walk to the end of the Royal Mile and then up a hill. Yeah, it's like... It's very poorly thought out. Yeah. It's not great. Um, Yeah, which I would say, it shows just total lack of planning. He didn't... It was like... It's like, okay, I'm going to marry this woman gonna kill her for the insurance and then move on yeah also just like your timeline's too compressed there buddy like yeah let yourselves be married for a bit yeah yeah just just i don't know why we're like critiquing this like he could have done better but like (laughs) because (laughs) because i think that that was his plan was to become yeah, a, essentially a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, like a like For a black widower. Insured. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think I could say like like a a, a bell gunner's type. Yeah, uh, a, a male Marianne Cotton. Yeah. Um. No, it does seem like yeah he was like he was always looking for a payout, and very uh, uh, aggressively so. Yeah, I I I think it's an interesting case and I do think one of the most interesting things about it is that it's sort of so little reported on. Yeah, I I was just going to say that there's like there's just very little. Yeah. There's a few as I say a few articles about it sort of on on the anniversary, mm-hmm. you know, 40 years, 30 years whatever. Um but yeah, very little about it. Yeah, and like Cause when I, so a couple months ago now, I guess we were sort of planning out episodes and I, we had done all the Glasgow murders and then we did the one, um, for 50. And so I was like, well, we need one for 60. So I, I had this book and I was looking through it and like, I was trying to find one that wasn't either Angus Sinclair or like too too out there and it's mm. not even on the back of the um the book cover so like it's yeah. it's definitely i think it's it's lesser known but it's it's pretty fucked and like a lot of these crimes yeah. ev- uh, on their sort of major anniversaries will get coverage in the scottish um news outlets like the scotsman or the you know, Edinburgh or like Glasgow Live will do stuff. Uh, Daily record, Daily, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that one, this one doesn't really seem to have all that much tension on it. Yeah, and it's also quite interesting. I've just realised because the William Beggs case that we did uh, for episode fifty, that was also essentially serial killer in the making. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I have massive issues with Police Scotland from my own dealings with them. Uh, But sometimes they can do good work. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the Edinburgh police forces had a bit more wherewithal back in, like, the 70s. Because wasn't it that one guy in the World's End murder case, like, shepherded the evidence for decades and decades? Yeah. Yeah, and Klaus, I mean, we covered it in the Angus Sinclair episode way back, over about a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was three killings very similar to The World's End that happened in Glasgow, and it's they officially remain unsolved, but it is widely accepted yeah. that Angus Sinclair committed those crimes, possibly with uh, accomplices, but they didn't have someone who essentially guarded that dna and that those articles of evidence until dna testing was uh, advanced enough so by the time that dna testing was advanced enough they could test for the world's end because they had the was it the tights and the rope yeah it was like which 
they didn't have in those yeah, like in the Glasgow three, yeah. that evidence had been lost. Um, so yeah, it is interesting. But also, you know how we talk about like New York in the eighties being like the purge. Mm-hmm. Parts of Glasgow was the murder capital of Europe. Oh, shit, yeah. So, you know, we haven't really. It's no excuse for bad policing, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and okay, some stuff does get lost, and it's very tragic, and it's horrible for those women and their families that they've never got justice, especially if it was Angus Sinclair, because he is now dead. Yeah. But, yeah. Edinburgh in the, 18, in the 70s, the police did good. Yeah. And, like, we haven't really gotten into it, but, like, gangland Glasgow is a whole thing. Very much. <laughs> Which, and it is quite scary when it's still going yeah. on. Like I used to work in an area which was known for for people just being shot. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of sort of like day to day crime in in during these time periods in Glasgow that also probably took a lot of energy and resources to sort of manage. Yeah, but then you look at Edinburgh, so everyone thinks that Edinburgh is a lot nicer place, and in some ways it is, but then look at train spotting. Well, yeah. Yeah, granted it's fiction, but that story didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. Those There are parts of Edinburgh that have a lot of problems as well. Oh, yeah. Um. So, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's like any city. Like, there, mm. there's good parts and bad parts and and parts that change i mean like look at times square in new york it was the the seedy underbelly right in the heart of manhattan and now it's tourist central (laughs) just kind of (laughs) hilarious yeah um but yeah in in general they they did really well um yeah so good good case or i mean poorly executed execution case good policing policing. yeah so if you enjoyed this episode and indeed any other episodes we would love it if you could rate and review us on your podcast app of choice especially um apple podcasts because that's where all the main listings are yeah that's that's where the charts live (laughs) Yeah. yeah um but if you're app does not allow you to review you can also review us on facebook which would be really great because we don't have any reviews on facebook and if uh yeah if you leave us a really nice review we will read it out we have done that in the past because it's really nice um so yeah please do that we'll be very grateful um and if you would like to rep square mile of murder in the streets then you can get yourself some merchandise with all of our cool designs on them. We got a couple different designs, including one uh, that's proven to be our most popular design so far for the um, four Glasgow Square Mile murders. And um, so, yeah, we got T-shirts, hoodies. I was going to say sweatpants. I don't think we have sweatpants. <laughs> No, we do not. Mugs. We have we have a lot of things to yeah, choose mugs, from. Yeah, mugs, posters, phone cases, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and the links for our merch will be in the show notes, or you can find the links on um, our website or in our like Instagram bio link. So they're around if if you are so interested. And um, uh, yeah, that's that's. That's fun. I I love wearing our merch. I don't know if that's cool to say, but uh, yeah, shameless self promotion. I have I have uh the I think it's the premium hoodie with our raccoon design, and it is so soft, and like it's like a thinner <laughs> hoodie, which I like. Um, but it's like super soft and cozy on the inside, and so I love that. Um, but yeah, different colors. All kinds of fun stuff. We do occasionally do discounts for various things, so keep an eye on our social media um, to to snag one of those. And 
if you would like to be like a super cool super fan or just like a super cool regular fan or just a super cool person, you can join our... I'm going to go back to scripting these end bits. I think we should just pre-record one at this point because this, this is bad. Um, <laughs> you can join our Patreon page, become a patron of the show, uh, which helps us cover the costs of of creating the episode and equipment and website hosting and all this stuff. Uh, pledges start at just one pound a month and uh, go up from there. And every patron gets episodes a day early. Uh, at the uh, starting at two pounds a month, you get a bonus episode every month. Five pounds, you get two bonus episodes, and at ten pounds, you get three bonus episodes, um, plus various fun stuff. You get a merch discount as well. And uh, yeah, our most popular tier is five pounds. And starting from the two pounds, you get exclusive square mile swag, and uh, and and you just get to hang out with us. And we really love it. So we'd love yes. to see you there. And you got a shout out on the show when you join. So yes, come check it out. So yeah, if, if you want to hear us probably really badly mispronounce your name, yes. come join Definitely. Patreon. Um, and the links to that, as always, will be in the show notes and on our website. So check it out there. And on that note, we will see you all next week. Yep. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah. Uh, see Thanks. you then. Bye. Bye.